Mesdames et Messieurs, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles Daniel MacDonald on World Radio Paris and Monaco. Brought to you in association with Force Magazine. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio France, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show exclusively for the WRP Network. Coming up in today's show, I'm going to be looking into the latest international news concerning the business of fashion, from the future of airport retail to Europe's big crackdown on fast fashion and a streetwear culture dying a death. International travel will likely need years to recover from the pandemic. Luxury brands and duty-free retailers are betting on e-commerce, trendier products and a better shopping experience to make up for the shortfall. Sales of luxury goods at airport shops are down sharply from before the pandemic, as business travellers, Chinese tourists and other big stenders stay at home. Airport retailers are testing new store formats and click-and-collect options, in an order to generate more revenue from fewer passengers. And concept stores featuring trendier products aimed at younger shoppers are now competing with the traditional duty-free shops. Travellers returning to the airport for the first time since the pandemic will find a different retail landscape awaiting them past the security gate. The duty-free shops selling expensive liquor and cosmetics are still there but they're refreshing their assortment to cater to Gen Z and tighten new websites and shopping apps. Concept stores pitching lifestyle and contemporary fashion brands are pocking up alongside mainstays like Dior and Prada. And there are also more things to do beyond shopping, from workout classes to movie screenings. These changes reflect a big shift in who is flying and why. Air travel remains sharply below pre-pandemic levels, with 19.4 million passengers having passed through London's Heathrow Airport in 2021, down a staggering 76% from 2019. Global travel retail sales totaled £19.7 billion, which is $21.9 billion in 2019. Last year, there were quite simply £5.7 billion or $6.3 billion respectively. Among the cohorts still missing are business travellers and Chinese tourists, historically two of the biggest spenders at airport shops. Instead, terminals are seeing more young tourists, especially those making short trips, a group that will make up a majority of passengers by 2025, according to Bain. The trouble is, these travellers aren't big shoppers, preferring to splurge on food, drinks and entertainment before boarding the flight. On average, a long-haul Chinese passenger spends just over $100 on luxury goods, compared to a short or medium-haul European passenger who spends just one, according to Mauro Anastia, a retail and aviation partner at Bain & Company. Convincing these travellers to open their wallets is a key question facing the world's luxury and fashion groups. Brands like Hermé, Cartier and Louis Vuitton are fixtures within this international terminal. And in the year ending June 2021, Estée Lauder generated 29% of its sales through retail travel, 
which also includes duty-free shops in hotspots like Hainan. In December, LVMH, which operates hundreds of duty-free stores in addition to its own brand's airport boutiques, said retail's travel recovery from the pandemic had indeed been slow. L'Oreal said in June its travel retail business was also still badly affected. And with Chinese tourists still restricted from international trips, many luxury brands have redirected investment to international travellers. Hainan Island's duty-free shops are targeting a $15.8 billion in sales this year, which is a dramatic increase from $9.5 billion in 2021, according to the travel retail business. As international passengers' numbers begin to increase, so will sales, retailers optimistically say. Where traffic increases, travel retail responds very, very fast, said SD Lauda Chief Executive Fabrio Freza in a discussion with Anuas back in February. With regards to rethinking the experience, before the pandemic, airports resisted many of the changes that were happening across retail, and after all, they had a captive audience. While retailers around the world were investing in experiences, refreshed inventory and e-commerce, airport stores stuck with what worked. Expensive liquor, high-end cosmetics, handbags and fragrances. Bain estimates that airport retailers' online revenue is in the worst single digits of all total sales. That changed, however, during the pandemic, when duty-free operators could no longer rely on a steady flow of board travellers to pass through the stores. Travellers can reserve an Aspinall of London bag before heading to Heathrow, or an Armani fragrance while playing the slots in Las Vegas. Then, quite simply, pick them up at the Duffery shop on their way to the gate. LVMH's DFS group allows customers to reserve items up to a month before they're scheduled to fly out of JFK Airport, and other destinations. One of the big advantages of retail has been providing a physical experience, as well as a level of instant fulfilment, said Fraser Brown, Heathrow's retail director. Airport retailers are also reconsidering what they will sell and just how they will sell it. Zurich Airport, whose duty-free retailers include traditional luxury groups like Hermes, Bulgari and Rolex, has partnered with High Snobbery to open a concept store inside the airport. The store includes products from brands like J.W. Anderson, Acne Studios and On Running, and features an exhibition space that hosts a brand new brand every two months. Airports offer such a traditional and sometimes old-fashioned retail experience, said Simon. Hi Snobberies, Global Director of Business Development. And as such, our store caters to ways in which younger consumers engage with new luxury. At Heathrow, a pop-up Chanel store invited shoppers to try on a range of the brand's beauty products using augmented reality on digital screens. Airports are also introducing experiences beyond shopping to cater for younger consumers. After passing through security at Baltimore Washington Airport, Travellers can take time for a pre-flight workout at Rome Fitness, borrowing Lulemon gym gear and running shoes, and using showers stocked with Malin and Gwed's products. 2019 San Francisco International Airport was one of the first to provide yoga studios for passengers, and this is now an increasingly common fixture in many airports worldwide. 
Airports must now have a completely different mix of products and experiences compared to what they had before the pandemic if they want to stay relevant. Union wants to slow down the pace of fashion and by laying down a sustainable textile strategy, the EU aims to tackle fashion's environmental impact and labour abuses. The move was plainly summed by Ursula von der Leyen, European Commission President, in a speech last year. Fast fashion is poison for our planet. The strategy outlines that clothing garments should be easier to repair and more durable as part of a push to bolster environmental standards. Such standards would also require better quality fabrics and sewing to bolster garment longevity. It's time to end the model of take, make, break and throw away that is so harmful to our planet, our health and our economy, EU Commission Vice President Franz Tinnerman said. The 27-member bloc is specifically targeting the industry's every stage of use, including sourcing design, repair and recycling. By 2030, all textiles sold in the EU should have been crafted from recycled fibres and cut down on the amount of hazardous microplastics they contain as much as possible. Globally, less than 1% of clothing garments are recycled. Fast fashion should be out of fashion and economically profitable to reuse and repair, these services should also be widely available. Figures published by the European Environmental Agency state every person in the EU, textile consumption requires 9 cubic metres of water, 400 square metres of land and a staggering 391 kilograms of raw materials, causing a carbon footprint of around 270 kilograms. Every year, Europeans buy 26 kilograms of clothing and household linen, 73% of which is imported and thrown away, and some 11 kilograms of textiles, or 5.8 million tonnes in totals, said the APF. Textiles are the fourth highest pressure category for the use of primary raw materials and water, and after food, housing and transport, the fifth for GHG emissions. The EU textile sector, predominantly composed of SMES, has started to recover after a long period of restructuring. While 60% by value of clothing is produced in the EU somewhere else. The EU is also calling for innovation in the sector, with producers taking responsibility for their products along the value chain with sufficient capacities for recycling and minimal incineration and landfilling. Garments will be labelled so that clearer information on textiles and a product passport will inform consumers of each facet of the garments they purchase. It further empowers people to tackle greenwashing by ensuring the accuracy of the company's green claims. Ultimately, the goal is to stop overproduction and overconsumption and also to discourage the destruction of unsold or returned textiles. 
It's hard to conceptualise every piece of cling film, discarded sheet of bubble wrap and plastic bag, adding up to tonnes and tonnes of waste, but pile up they do. And it's estimated that thin film plastic, the lightweight material that's often used as a barrier in some kind of wrapping, constitutes 46% of the approximately 14 million tonnes of new plastic that enters our oceans annually. 180 billion thin plastic poly bags are used by the fashion industry a year alone. However, the Tom Ford Plastic Innovation Prize aims to change that, and it just got one step closer by revealing the eight finalists for its inaugural prize. Selected from 64 applicants across six continents, the finalists presented from a panel of judges with a working prototype to replace the poly bags the fashion industry is currently reliant on. The finalists are Genesis, KLP, Luanda Biotech, Maria, Nodpia, Sway, Champla and Zero Circle. They include also alternatives made from local algae in Iceland, organic waste and reprogrammed bacteria and peas. Seaweed emerged as the most frequently harnessed alternative, with four of the eight finalists using it as an actual material. We're trying to set a new standard, says Dr June Ives, CEO of Lonely Whale, the non-profit that Tom Ford partnered with for the prize. Ives explained that the entrants were judged not merely on making a biodegradable product, but one that biologically degrades. The difference is subtle to a non-scientist, but very crucial. Biodegradable products can only decompose safely in certain environments, like an industrial composting facility. If, say, a compostable straw gets mixed in with trash headed for landfill, it will not biodegrade. Biologically biodegradable means that it could degrade without harm to the environment on land and in the ocean, and if the unthinkable happens and it was ingested by a sea creature, we would want to know that it would pass safely through. The scenario is exactly what the finalist prototypes will be put through next. For a year, the products will be tested in the Caribbean and Pacific Northwest waters, as well as in a lab. The Seattle Aquarium will also model what would happen to the finalist materials should a marine mammal ingest them. On top of that, the products will be evaluated to ensure they are minimally negative socially with environmental impacts which meet industry performance standards. They should also be low-cost competitive, scalable and market-ready by 2025, according to a press release. They'll further be put to the test by a host of early adopter brands, including Nike, which is sponsoring the testing phase, J.Crew, Tom Ford and Tom Ford Beauty, alongside Stella McCartney. McCartney sat on the judges' panel alongside EcoAge founder Livia Firth, MBE, actor Don Chido and CFDA CEO Stephen Klob. The focus on companies using new materials further underscores the idea that it's important to tackle this problem on a business level and not an individual one. Indeed, scalability was top of the mind for the judges. The judges were thinking about, with a warming climate and increased population, that we are sure we're doing more harm than good with these alternatives. That's how these through made it through, Dr Dive said in a statement. Firth found the finalists, or climate optimists as she calls them, downright inspiring, 
It's their attitude and determination that inspires progress, she said. Optimism has always had this power, and humanity has eradicated diseases, overcome great injustices, and even reached the moon because enough of us believed we could. The winners, which will be announced in spring 2023, will collectively receive over $1.2 million in funding. Hopefully, that means in a few years, we'll be seeing more seaweed, or peas, or algae, or bacteria in our packaging. Recently, a friend referred me to a Twitter thread by Russ Bengston, the former editor at Complex and Slam magazines and an OG sneakerhead. Bengston has gotten off Twitter last week. It began with a brief analysis of Virgil Abloh's tenure at Louis Vuitton, correctly noting that Virgil was good at generating hype by giving people an elevated version of what they already had, ending with a lament for death of streetwear culture at the hands of the corporatized release and the resale market on one side, and the moneyed customer on the other. The entire thing is worth a read, though the pointed criticism of your average hype beast, whose only measure of value is price, is already familiar. But this time, there was an underlying subject in the rant that often goes not unnoticed, then undiscussed, and it's always worth a consideration. Bengston wrote, In sneakers, there's always this thing, looking for that rare version no one else had, but at least at the beginning. It wasn't about spending more money, it was about knowing your stuff, and having connections, and digging through old sporting goods in stores. This was an unexamined acknowledgement that in the 80s and 90s heyday, by large streetwear culture was driven by the kids from low-income neighbourhoods in major American cities. The very term streetwear berms that notion, it's a style born in the streets, in the schoolyards, on handball and basketball courts, and on brownstone stoops. If more often than not streetwear heroes, athletes and rappers came from working class, then more often than not they were black. There was a time, how unfathomable, that these very people were snubbed by the likes of streetwear giants, let alone European luxury brands. That now line up to collaborate him. This attitude was not limited to sneakers, and I can clearly remember in the 1990s, Hennessy tried to distance itself from hip-hop as rappers enthusiastically poured its cognac on various parts of the female anatomy in their video. By 2012, however, Nas was featured in those very Hennessy ads. As far as sneakers go, Adidas executives had actively persuaded Russell Simons that Run DMC was their meal ticket to an entirely new consumer base, going as far as taking the brand's suited executives to concerts to witness the power of My Adidas. Nike was unsure and its courting of the urban kids, and as Naomi Klein recounts in her anti-consumerist book No Logo by the black man in America inner cities, have been the market most aggressively mined by planned ministers as a source of borrowed meaning and identity. 
This was a key to the success of Nike and Tommy Hilfiger, both of which were catapulted into brand superstardom in no small part by poor kids who incorporated Nike and Hilfiger into hip-hop style at the very moment when rap was being thrust into expanding youth culture by MTV and Vibe. For the likes of Nike, the first stop was the basketball courts of America's poorest neighbourhoods. Nike's marketers had a practice of testing out new styles in low-income urban environments, and according to Klein, they even had a term for it, broing. She recounted a 97 interview with the designer Aaron Cooper about his marketing trips to Harlem. We go to the playground and we dump the shoes out. It's unbelievable, the kids go nuts. That's when you realise the importance of Nike. Having kids tell you Nike is their number one thing in their life and number two is their girlfriend. A lot has changed, however, since 1997 and in the soul-searching that goes into the die-hard streetwear circles today about how the roots of streetwear culture have been torn out of the soil. A simple fact gets lost. The world today is much richer than it was in the 90s. There are 5 million millionaires in the US in 1995 and by 2016 that number had risen threefold to 15 million. Globally, there were 56.1 million millionaires in the world in 2020 and the direction of consumption by the newly minted rich tends to be the same as it is for the working classes. Aspirational and therefore conspicuous. From hip-hop stars to the crypto whales to the international students spending the parents' wealth. The story is the same. More bling for more money. Scarcity and expensiveness have indeed become the new streetwear values. Take into account the constant need for validation that comes with the nouveau riche anxiety. Exacerbated by Instagram's aiding and abetting of our epidemic of narcissism and the picture that becomes queer. The streetwear giants are no longer the need for poor, cool kids. They can now market directly to the rich, fire rapper athlete industrial complexes because there are just so many of them. Hype, created purely artificially and planned scarcity, keeps the brands front and centre, shielded by their vapid and hollow pieties about the democratisation of fashion. The person who is often credited with democratising fashion is Virgil Abloh, but this means giving access to something to the largest number of people possible. And Louis Vuitton's $500 logo tees and $1,200 sneakers hardly fit that definition. In the last decade, increases in price levels for luxury fashion, and Louis Vuitton is in that segment, have far outpaced inflation, in some years rising by 10 to 20%. The market has absorbed these price increases with flying colours, as evidenced by record-beating profits from luxury conglomerates and sportswear giants alike. This can only mean one thing, that there is enough wealth out there to support it. Meanwhile, the poor has customisedly been the case in American history, are left behind once again. The same thing could be said for Bidjo's collaboration with Nike that no person of modest income could afford by the time the sneakers hit the resale market. Earlier this year, Sotheby's The Auction House, known more for uber-expensive art than sneakers, auctioned off a pair of off-white Nike Air Force Ones, of which only 200 pairs were made. Some pairs fetched as much as $60,000. 
Mind you, nothing has prevented Nike from producing these sneakers in sufficient numbers if they really cared about anything more than hype hysteria. What's left to do for those who lament this sorry state of affairs? Well, one answer is to opt out. In terms of style, go your own way. Don't let anyone, and especially anyone on Instagram, tell you what's cool. After a withdrawal, you'll find this liberating. And don't give any validation to the hype be sheep. Validation is the engine that keeps the hype economy rolling and the erasure of streetwear culture along with it. Or as Bengston empathetically put, if rich people need to buy expensive rare clothes to feel better about themselves or to justify their obscene wealth or just flash for plumage to those who are into it, let them go. The followers themselves. So why follow them? hope you can join me for the next Fashion Mode show where I'm going to be investigating the growing trend of queer and gender neutral fashion. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the fashion news on forcmagazine.com and at FORC Magazine on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also keep up to date with the latest shows directly from Mixcloud, Podbean and our official profiles on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play and Deezer. Under Force Magazine. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on. <laughs>